Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Welcome into the house of God. For those that are joining us online, welcome tonight as well. We're going to talk about the book of Numbers. And what I thought I would do is I would read just a little bit out of one of the books that I have here. I, I just wanted to share a thought that I saw earlier that I thought was quite interesting. What, what the author had to say about the hands up if you've ever read the book of Numbers. You've gone through it. Good. Excellent. So that's going to make it a lot easier for me. Amen. Let me just share something that this author said. Listen to these words. He said, After a year at Mount Sinai, receiving instruction about life in the promised land, the Israelites headed north toward their ultimate destination. Possessors of a legal code and a system of worship superior to any other nation, Israel seemed certain to enter Canaan in triumph. Along the way, however, lack of faith stalled the people. An incredible 38 years and an entire generation died wandering in the wilderness. Instead of behaving like God's chosen people, the Israelites murmured and complained and endured God's judgment on several occasions. Yet at the end of the 40 years in the Sinai desert, God proved faithful to his promise and led the next generation to the edge of the promised land. Isn't that something? I'm told in the book of Deuteronomy that it takes 11 days from where they were in the book of Numbers to get to the edge of the Jordan, 11 days. And 38 years later, they were just arriving at the place of promise. It's a very pivotal book, what we're going to be talking about. It's, it's, it's a book about, listen to these words, it's a book about decisions that we make. It's a book about disputing how we can argue with God. It's a book about destiny, how we can actually alter destiny by decisions that we make. It's a book about disqualification how we can disqualify ourselves from certain promises of God based on decisions that we make. It's a very, very pivotal book. If, if we do our studies properly, you will see that the period with Moses in the wilderness should have ended at Numbers chapter 13. So I want you to think about this. The period with Moses in the wilderness with Israel should have ended at Numbers chapter 13. The rest of the book, listen carefully everyone, the rest of the book should not have been written and the entire book of Deuteronomy should not have been written. Got it? Let me repeat that again. If we do our studies carefully, the story should have ended at Numbers chapter 13 after they come back from spying out the land saying that the land is exactly what God says it is, then they would have mobilized, gone over, and we would have had the story of Jericho and so forth crossing the Jordan. But in chapter 13, they make a decision that we are not able to go over into the land. We saw giants there, and we were, in our eyes, as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. 
And then chapter 14, 15, 16, all those chapters into the book of Deuteronomy are written. Have you ever heard me teach this, that there's some books in the Bible that really shouldn't be there, but they're there because of decisions that we've made? Don't you think about that? Not everything in the Bible is supposed to be there. In fact, if we were honest with ourselves, after Genesis chapter 3, the rest of the Bible shouldn't even be there. But again, a decision is made, and then we're reading things. So be careful when you interpret the Bible that you think, this is for me. These things were written for our learning, that we would not repeat the things that they they do. So when we go through this uh, series in the book of Numbers, let's ask ourselves some honest questions. Even as we journey with Rhema, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for many years, ask yourself if you see yourself at any point in these stories, if you ever see yourself complaining about circumstances, maybe complaining about situations, even within the local body, or complaining about situations in your own life, Have you ever complained about the leadership of the ministry? Then you're going to see some familiar sentiments in the Bible. Have you ever complained about provisions in your life? But you've wondered, why is this happening to us? And it was better when I was not a Christian than now that I am a Christian. So we're going to go into this. I think think you'll enjoy it. Um, Here's what I'm calling it. I'm going to call it the way of words. So this is my theme for the book, because much of what will happen in the book will be a result of the things that we, we say. And put it, put it this way, things that we say in light of what God has said. So it's going to be a book about how our words compare to what God's word has said. And then we will, we'll enjoy it as we go along. What I wanted to actually show you is when we get further, not, not this week, but next week, I'm going to show you something about God's order before he even tells them to go into the promised land. I'm going to show you um, a lesson called the seven camps, where God actually shows them how to situate themselves in seven different camps. I'm going to teach you about the camp of God, the camp of the Levites, and then the camp of Israel. You're going to see how God breaks down the camp of Israel. And what I I didn't see this in all my studies. I just saw it recently. When God situates the Israelites around the Levitical camp, he actually chooses four tribes to represent the camp. So it's a very interesting story. So for instance, if you happen to be in the tribe of Issachar or the tribe of Manasseh, you did not get a standard you had to submit to the standard of the camp of Judah. So I'm going to show you how even on the journey, you cannot get to promise unless you are willing to submit to someone. And you're going to see the whole submission, the camp of Israel submitting to the camp of the Levites, the camp of Levites submitting to the camp of God. Everyone is submitted to someone because where we're going, we're going to be in authority. And to get there, we have to demonstrate to God that we understand how to be under authority. So this is just an example. We'll do some images next week. This is what they would have looked like, scholars have said. God is in the center. And then the smaller tents represent the various Levitical families that are around. And then outside, you see the different Israelite tribes surrounding the camp of God. I'll give you another image of what it might have looked like at night. 
So when nightfall comes, there's this fire that's over the camp, all the different tribes around the camp. And when we then talk about the marching of God, do you recall we looked at how they carried the queen's body into the chapel? Well, we're going to see when God calls them to march, you're going to see that every group has a specific time to get up, a specific direction in which to go, and it is so synchronized that you will see that God is a God of timeliness. Even how he situates them, they're not allowed to get up in a counterclockwise manner. They have to get up in a clockwise manner, everyone after the other, then they march. And the last thing I'll show you is that even how they break down the tabernacle and set it up is also a part of that. So that those who are carrying the boards go first. In the ground, those who are carrying the furniture go second. Those who are carrying the curtains go third. It's a phenomenal experience with God as he prepares them to go into the promise. And he teaches them that if they're going to go into promise, they have to learn how to be, listen to this word, a machine. So they're going to have to learn how to be a machine for God. Because when they get to the promised land, they're going to meet nations who act like machines. And they're going to have to learn how to be one before before they get there. But let, let's go into our, our subject for tonight. As we always do, author, simple. So don't get bored of this. Just be that consistent. The author of the book, it's Moses. But here's what we've also said. Because it's the fourth of all the scrolls, it's the four-fifth of the law. And the reason why we say that is because all five books must be read together. So the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, must be read as one scroll. So this is the Torah or the Pinta, the five scrolls that are read together. Moses is the author. Well, let, let's do like this. Moses is the secretary. We know that God is the one that's actually doing all the inspiration. Moses is writing down what God wants him to tell us. It's also possible that if God is telling Moses to write some things down, there may be some things that happen that God says, I don't need them to know that. I need them to know these, these particular uh, things. Here's, here's my last point under authorship. Do you remember throughout the books, when we got to Exodus, I said that this is Moses and Israel's lived experience. So they're not just talking about something, they live this. Well, I added a word this time. This is their worst lived experience. This is the worst experience that Israel has ever experienced with God outside of the time in Egypt. Because when they leave Egypt, they leave with excitement. They're going to a land, it flows, and they die and they're buried in the wilderness. It's the worst experience. Some die even before the rebellion of Numbers 13. Some die in chapter 11, complaining about food. Others die later on, engaging in immoral acts. And you see thousands and thousands of Israelites dying in the wilderness as a result of choices that they make. It's their worst lived experience. Let's go to the title of the book, Numbers. Let's, look, let's ask ourselves why. The title that we have in our English Bible comes out of the Greek, the Septuagint, the Vulgate, and this is the Greek word. Right away, an English word jumps into your mind, right? Arithmetic or math. And the reason why it's called Numbers, in chapter 1, verse 2, Moses engages a census. He counts all the men over 20 years old for war. 
then he's going to count all the Levites over 30 years old for worship. So the men are counted for war, and the, the Levitical group, they're counted for worship. I'll even show you the scripture. It's the book of Numberings. Take the sum, there's the word, take the census of all. So he's going to count them. The Levites are going to help him. He's going to count all the children of Israel after their families, every male by their pole. In other words, it's almost like the government taking a census. And ultimately what Moses discovers is that he has, let me see the number, 603,550 men that are ready for, for war. So he has a good, a good army. He, he also does it again. Let me go one, one scripture back. He does it again in chapter 26. So do you see what happened there? In chapter 1, he counts the group that comes out of Egypt. But what happens by the time he gets to chapter 26? That group that he counted in chapter 1, what happened to them? They died. <laughs> they died in the wilderness. So now he has to count a second time the next generation that's going into the promise. And that's why they get the idea of the book of Numbers or numbering. It's a census that he takes. The Hebrews don't call it a book of census. They don't refer to it as the numberings. They actually use the fifth word in the first um, verse. So it actually says, now the Lord said to Moses in the wilderness. And so the Hebrew title in their Bible is called Bimidvar, which means in the wilderness. And I think this is a very good title because it actually speaks of the content of the book because it's going to be an experience in the wilderness. When Christians talk, have you ever Christians say, oh, I'm in the wilderness? They're generally referring to what they've read or they've encountered in this book. So this book is going to recount for us the experience in the wilderness of Sinai, that desert place that they were supposed to walk through. Can I also show you something that I think is inconsistent? When a Christian says to us after 20, 30 years of serving the Lord that they're in the wilderness, what can you say? Something is wrong. Because the wilderness is not a place that you stay. Agreed? The wilderness is a place that you transition through after God has set all things in order. So if you find yourself, if I find myself in a wilderness, it's because of my choices. Choices that I'm making, not God's desire. It's not his desire for us to spend our journey with him in the wilderness. It's actually his desire that we operate in the place of promise. 11 days. It doesn't take a long time to get to where God wants us to go. The rabbis, in rabbinical thought, ra the rabbis have two titles for the book. They call it the book of journeyings. So this is an example of what it is to journey with God, to walk with God. So as you're walking with God, you can read the book and say, I don't think I'm going to make that mistake. I don't think I'm going to make those decisions so that my journey with God is far more effective rather than watch going around in circles. I want to go into something with God. All right, so I don't want to repeat certain cycles. I want to go in. So it's the book of journeyings. That's one of the rabbis. And then there's another title, the rabbis. This is an interesting one. Again, the rabbis call it the book of murmurings. Because at different points, they're going to complain and complain and complain. Pause for a second. Let's be honest. Show me your hands if you've ever complained on the journey with God. Why didn't you put up both of them like me? <laughs> right? 
So this is nothing new. This is a part of the human experience as we're walking with God. And tonight what I'm going to show you is that before God even gets them walking, he gives them all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And he's not expecting them. If they think back of all that he's done, he's not expecting them to complain. Isn't that interesting? Do you think he's done the same thing for us today? Repetition and cycle. In chapter 11, verse 1, I want to show you something. And when the people complained, it was about maybe a week after they started marching, about a week, when the people complained. I want you to watch this. Look at this text, everyone. When they complained in the yellow, what did it do to God? You see the juxtaposition? So that's the answer. When we complain, it insults God based on who he is and what he has done. Think about that. I will think about that. When I'm tempted to complain, it displeases God because it sends a message, whatever that message is, that somehow either God has not done enough or he's not to be trusted. And so when they complained, it displeased God and he heard it. His anger was kindled and he sent a fire and it started burning up some folks. Now, I'll also tell you this too. This is also important. On the journey, when they left Egypt in chapter 12, the Bible said, listen to this, that a mixed multitude went with them. I want you to hear that. So on this journey, there are people who are on the journey and their assignment is to tempt you and prod you into complaining. That's what they're there for. So they will start saying, you know, it's not that good here, Remy, you know, I don't know why. And then all of a sudden you start saying what they're saying. And this is what the Bible is going to show you, that the mixed multitude, they begin to stir up the people and the people begin to follow them and they end up in this situation. I think it would be better for us if we would help the mixed multitude by demonstrating that we understand the process and that we will not be a part of their complaint. Listen to what Paul says. I'm just going a little bit off off script. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2.14. We should do how many things, everyone? Without? Even the things we don't like, we should do them without murmuring and complaining. That's a phenomenal thing. Isn't isn't this the book where Paul says, I can do? Right? For my God shall all of my according to that's why he puts that there so when we understand that there's really nothing that we should complain about and we talk to ourselves and we condition ourselves not to complain here's what i want to show you before the book of numbers i want to show you that what god actually does for israel is he prepares them everything that he was doing he was preparing them and he was hoping that they would see it process it and understand it And then use it now in light of what they were going through. So I'm going to show you how he prepares in the book. For instance, watch. The Passover demonstrated that he was a providential God. That he had them. He had covered them. In the midst of crisis and death, he covered them. So they should have thought that the God that we serve is providential. He's covering us. He's got us. He's providing for us. He's protecting us. And they lived that experience. So this wasn't theory. They lived an experience like this. Watch. The blood shall be upon you 
token of your house. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not destroy you when I smite the land. They lived that. They lived in a moment where they saw God protect them in the midst of a difficult situation. That was the first thing. Watch the second one. They lived the Red Sea experience. There isn't a person in this room that can tell me, maybe you can maybe change my mind, that you've had an experience in your life that was equatable to the Red Sea. I've not had that experience. I've never been in a situation where I stood before a body of water and people were coming to kill me and the waters opened up. I walked through. It closed up on them. I was on the other side. They lived that experience, didn't they? So at a minimum, they should have believed that God can protect them. At a minimum, having lived that experience, this is what the Bible says, watch. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land. The waters were divided and they went through. They lived that. That's phenomenal that they would live an experience like that. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. It's going to be a little personal. Would you complain after that? You sure? (laughs) You see what I'm trying to show you? That sometimes circumstances can cause us to forget what God has done. Doesn't matter how great it is, because that's phenomenal. Would you agree? That if I stood at the shores and saw that, I would then say, there's never going to be a day that I will not believe God, trust God, not complain about life circumstances. If God can do that, what else can he do and what can he not do? Ready? Let's go a little further. They saw manna. So not only did they see providence and power, they saw God's provisions. So do you see how God is setting them up? for how they should respond to him when he says, go ahead now and trust me. So he's not asking you to trust him on the basis of nothing. He's done some things that merit trust on our behalf. In Exodus 16, verse 15, hope I'm not going too fast. And notice I put provision one, because you're going to see multiple times where God provides. I went to manna, but I could have gone to Mara first, and I could have shown you that God turned water that was bitter into water that was sweet, and they drank. But I went to the manna, and the children of Israel saw it. They said one to another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And Moses said, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Where was it coming from? It was falling from the sky. And they were picking it up, And they were eating it, and God rained bread from heaven. That's phenomenal. I I think, unless it's a fairy tale that we're reading, I think that's incredible. That I would be hungry, and the heavens would open, and manna falls, and we begin to eat that. That's provision. Let's go one step further. Watch. Water comes, provision number two. They say to God, we're thirsty. We're hungry. Now we're thirsty. And God says to Moses, strike this rock and water will come out. And maybe 1.5 million people will drink water coming out of a rock. A few questions go through my mind. I don't know what goes through your mind. What size rock was that? Like what size rock? 
Did the water just keep running and running out of a rock? And then when Paul writes in the New Testament, Paul says, and the rock didn't just stay there, the rock continued to to follow them. Do you all believe that? Come on, you can say, that's a hard one. So you look behind you every step of the way, there's a rock. Isn't that hard to believe? No, in all fairness, that's hard to believe. Because when we get to chapter 20 in the book of Numbers, the same rock will be there. And God will say to Moses, speak to that rock. And of course, he struck the rock. And the rock that followed him, Paul says, that rock was Jesus Christ. God provides water. Let me go back and just show you the scripture. Behold, I will stand before you in the rock. Smite the rock, water is going to come out. And Moses did so, and the people drank. And they even gave water to their their livestock. That's amazing. To me, that's amazing. Not only do they see protection, or sorry, providence and power and provisions, they're going to also see God protect them. So right after Moses strikes this rock, then God says, get ready because here comes the Amalekites. They want to kill you. They want to destroy you. Here's a simple strategy. Lift up your hand, Moses. Put some boys underneath your hand. Send Joshua down to the valley. I'm going to discomfort. or I'm going to fight for you against the Amalekites. And there Moses then calls God Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. And God fights and protects them. That is incredible. Exodus 17 verse 13 Let me go back. It's just jumping ahead. And Joshua, he defeated the Amalekites and his people with the edge of the sword. It kind of sounds like on the journey. Doesn't it sound like this? That no weapon formed against them. Kind of sounds like God is protecting them every step of the way. That watch. God wants them to get into what he has promised them. It sort of sounds like God is watching over his word to perform it. You see all of those, those principles at work? That God is actually fighting for them to go into promise. And you know the only thing that God wants them to do is just believe and trust him. That's all he wants them to do. Just believe and trust him. He will do the rest. I'll show you just one more. A few more rather. The tabernacle is built. And now the God who is providential, who is powerful, who is providing and protecting, he becomes the God that's right there with them. And they've got his presence right in their midst. So now they can see the glory in the cloud and the fire. God is with them. Sort of like saying it like this. Tell me if you agree. It's kind of like they have the Holy Ghost in an Old Testament way. God is living in their midst. He's not just somewhere up in the ethereal beyond. He is right there with them as they're walking forward. They've got God with them. It's amazing, isn't it? Exodus 40 verse 34 says, The cloud covered the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's amazing. Would you pause for a moment? I would have loved to see what they saw in the Old Testament. I would have loved to. And here's my challenge. Even as a new covenant believer, I can attest that I've not seen what they saw. Can anyone say amen to that? So just even walking, I'm over here claiming to be in marvelous light. I'm in this new thing that God is doing. 
I've not seen half of what they have seen. And I find that to be amazing. And I teach that they are in the shadows. Children still learning how to be grown adults in Christ or in God. And they get to see the glory of God in a house. Let's do a few more. Of course, we know that God gives them law. Remember the book said that God gives them a legal code, perhaps better than any other legal code that existed. They've got this incredible law, how to live with God, how to live with each other, what happens when they make a mistake. They've got all of these things around them. They don't need anything else. One could say that they're complete in God. That's what the book of Leviticus is about. And if that were not enough... God gives them a set of priests taken from among them. So these aren't strangers. These are people that know them, that know their their plight. And he gives them a priesthood so that they can come before him, offer sacrifice. They can run to the priests if they're sick. They've got leprosy. If they've made a mistake, they can run with a sacrifice and the priest will mediate for them. They have everything they need. Here's my thought. and Tell me what you think. Watch this closely. Israel is experiencing in the book of Numbers God's finished work in the Old Testament. Does everyone know what I mean by that? In other words, God has done everything for them. They simply have to step into it. That's it. So all God is asking for them, and this is why I think we can teach that God requires faith in the Old Testament. He just asks them to believe. If, if, I don't know if we've got anybody on media, but can, can you do me a favor? Excellent. Can you find me Psalm 95? And let's go to verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So God has finished the work. And that sounds like a New Testament concept, right? All the works are finished. Well, God does the same thing in the Old Testament. Give me Psalm 95 if you can. And then watch this. Look, look what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. For he is our God. We are his people the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, you know, don't harden your watch, harden not your heart, as in the, what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. It could have said, as in the book of Numbers, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Watch this. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Watch closely. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that err in their heart and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Did you get that? Canaan was God's rest for them in the Old Testament. Do you remember I told you that Sabbath for God Though you you may say it's a seven-day period, it's a state that God wants them to enter into. He did everything for them, and all he wanted them to do was simply believe and enter into rest. So that's why the Bible will tell you things. Watch closely. We're teaching now. The Bible will tell you things like, when you get to the land of promise, there will be houses that you did not, and vines that you did not, and wells that you did not. Everything has been prepared for you. Just step right in. What is the greatest challenge that faces Christians today? It's not where they worship. It's not. It's belief. It's belief. Food prices are going up. I believe God. 
Does that make sense? There's a pandemic on the land. I believe God. That's the approach. I, I don't agree with where the church is at right now, but guess what? I believe God. That's what God wants to hear from every believer. My life is not where it should be. It can be better, but I still believe God. Watch, for without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's been saying the same thing from the Old Testament. Believe me. Because I'm going to show you something. When we start to believe God, he then begins to reveal to us not just his works, but his ways. And when you know his ways, you know what he's going to do next. When you know his works, you know what he has done. When you know his ways, you know where he is going. And Moses knew his ways, which is what surprises me because, and we will talk about this as we go through. The Bible says that Israel knew his works, Moses knew his, but Moses failed. (laughs) Even after knowing God's ways, he still failed to believe God at a critical time. And he too enters into a moment of disqualification. So this is the conclusion to that. God has prepared them and all he expects them to do now is just believe me and enter in. Even if you see giants, remember what I've done before, and if I've done it there, I can do it again. Make sense? So when you see those giants, those, you know, sons of the Anakims, just remember what I did at the Red Sea. And in fact, watch this, remember that I did it, you didn't do anything. So I told Moses to lift up the rod, I parted the sea, your job was to just Walk through. So God wants us to believe him. I hear God on that one. Wants us to believe him. So the journey now, here's what we're going to see. This journey, whether it's 11 days or 20 days, it's actually to prove us. If you're walking, let me make it very relative. If you're walking with us here at Rhema, that journey is to prove you, prove me, Prove us that we believe God. So what the journey does is the journey demonstrates certain things about us. We're looking at circumstances. The journey is actually painting a picture of us on the inside based on how we respond. Let me show you three things. Tell me what you think. Watch. The journey will prove the health of Israel. It will prove their commitment to God. How healthy is their commitment. It's one thing to say to God, I'm committed until the crisis. No. And so that's what they kept saying to Moses all, every step of the way, every time. And this is why it's important for us not to be people that respond to God based on what he does. So when they came through the Red Sea and Moses gave them the, this is all that the Lord says we will do. Remember that statement? And then two chapters later, here comes, where's Moses? We don't know what's become of Moses. Make us a calf, Aaron. And after that, okay, we're still going to believe God. And we keep going through this cycle. It's a demonstration of the health of our commitment to God. Can I teach you something? Crisis is testing your commitment. That's it. It's never, from, from what I see in Scripture, it's never intended to destroy you if God has you on a journey. It's just testing my our commitment. That's it. 
That's all that's being tested. That you'll get up the next day and say, I'm still committed. I still believe God. I'm still going forward. In Jesus' name. Ready? Number two. The journey is going to prove their heart. This is the character piece. It's going to prove their heart. doesn't matter what they say with their mouth. It's what they mean in their heart. The journey is going to prove their heart. When it seems like there's no food, what's in their heart? And they're going to find out what's in their heart. That's why out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth begins to talk. There's no food here. Would to God we had died in Egypt. That's not that, those are not words. That's the condition of your heart. They said something in the book of Numbers. It, it may seem funny. I don't think it is. But when they got to chapter 11, there was just some little challenge with food. They said to Moses, we remembered when we were in Egypt and how we ate fish and leeks and cucumbers to the full. Isn't that a lie? That's a lie, isn't it? So you see how your circumstances can even pervert the words that you say? You didn't eat any fish and cucumbers to the full. You wanted out of Egypt. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the journey, your heart starts to be displayed. We know people by their heart. Listen to their words. You'll know their heart. And the journey is going to prove the heart of Israel. The last thing here, the journey is also going to prove something about their leader. This is headship. Moses is going to be tested by the journey. He's going to be proven. He's, this, this, and this is what is puzzling to me. How, how do you spend 40 years being trained by God in Egypt, 40 years intimately with God in the wilderness of, of Sinai, um, being trained by God, and then you get out into the desert, you do these incredible miracles, and listen carefully, and the people frustrate you to no end. They frustrate you to, to the point where you make a decision and you lose your destiny. You know, I've heard pastors try to, you know, make sense out of the scriptures. One pastor did this and I said, but we don't have to do that. Moses disqualified himself. End of discussion. He said, no, he didn't disqualify himself. God killed him in the wilderness. Watch this fancy, fancy dancing with scripture. Because Moses represented the law and the law cannot take you into promise. Fancy exercise. That's not true. God said to Moses, Deuteronomy 6 and 23, I brought you out that I might bring you in. Moses is going to die in the wilderness and be buried there. Want to keep count? Aaron is going to die in the wilderness and be buried there. Miriam is going to die in the wilderness and be buried there. And hundreds of thousands of Israelites are going to be buried in the wilderness. The journey comes to prove us. We are no different. Brothers and sisters, hear me. We are no different than these people. We are exactly like these people unless we learn from their experiences the things that we ought not to listen, not even do, repeat. The things that we will not find ourselves repeating the journey. It's going to prove us. What will I do here? I'm going to give you, and I'm almost through, two outlines of the book, and then I'm going to teach from the second outline. 
So here's two. The first one is going to really focus on this relationship between what they see and what they hear. So hopefully what they see should somehow affect what they hear. After they've seen God, they start hearing differently. And this is very, very important. So for them, can I say this? Faith came by seeing. (laughs) Did you get that? For them, God was expecting them to see some things. He said, did you not see the manna? Did did you not see the Red Sea? Did you not see the the, the, the Passover in Egypt? Did you not see the water? So if you saw those things, you should believe. So he wasn't asking them, you know, faith comes by hearing. He was telling them, you've seen the things I've done. It should be easy for you to believe me. Here's the first outline. I'm going to use it like this. Seeing and hearing. You can divide up the book like this. A generation saw, they still didn't believe. And then a second generation came and God said, you have to hear to believe. They didn't see that. That last group, you know what we call them? We call them desert babies. They were born in the wilderness. They didn't see the Red Sea. They weren't in Egypt. They didn't see the water coming from the rock. And they had to believe Joshua that were coming over. We're going to go in. If you want to use sight, chapters 1 to 10, that's all God is going to remind them of. Look at all that I have done. Everything that you've seen, that generation that Moses counted and said, guys, 20 years old and, and, and older, Levites, they saw, they saw, they saw, they saw the hand of God. And all they had to do was just believe God. They saw. So then my thought is this. Tell me what you think. Miracles don't always produce faith. Hmm? Isn't that interesting? We need to see healings, then we would believe. Not always. They saw, and they still struggle to believe. Chapter 1 to 10. We'll get into it. Then we're going to see this. uh, Let me go back. I just missed something. Speech is the second segment of that, this outline. The group that saw, what they saw should have affected what they said. But instead, they saw some things and they said something opposite to what they saw. When they saw the giants, they said, watch their words. We're not able. Can I ask you a question? Were they right? Hands up if you think they were right. Watch. Hands up if you think that what they said was wrong. Yes, watch. They said, we are not able to go in and possess that. Were they right or wrong? Hands up for right. Hands up for wrong. Either one is right, but can I challenge you on this? What they said was actually right. It wasn't them. That was going, it was not their ability. It had nothing to do with them because along the journey, they didn't open the Red Sea. They didn't open the rock. They didn't pour the manna. It was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in there. And so that's one of the errors when we start thinking that we are going to make it happen. And so we relativize it down to our level and say, since we can't fight them, it must not be possible. 
And it wasn't going to be them that was going to, can I say, in a spiritual way, fight. God was going to fight for them. Their words didn't line up to what they saw. And they made this declaration, I call it a tragic transition. Because when God heard them say that, in chapter 14, God says, none of this generation will go in. He says, they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Listen to these words. Tell me if these aren't strong words. Until their carcasses drop in the wilderness. And there's children that did not see the works. They are going to go in. Chapter 11 to 25, it's a transition in the story. They make a huge mistake. Only two men said that we can do it. Do you remember the story? Joshua said, shh, guys. Caleb said, shh, guys. We are well able if the Lord be pleased with us. And they made the right statement. Do you know why they said, shh, guys, don't say that? Because what the 12 or the the 10 were saying was infectious. Because when those 10 spies said we weren't able, then guess what everybody started saying? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) They just started saying amen all through the camp. And all of a sudden, God said this whole... One more thought I would tell you. Be careful who speaks on your behalf. (laughs) 11 guys spoke for 1.5 million people and said the wrong thing. And the story goes down the wrong direction. Speech. Let me say this and tell me what you think. Whatever we're doing as a ministry, whatever you're doing as a Christian, try this. It's not that easy. I'm going to tell you that every day, make sure that your words line up with God's works. Even if your situation hasn't yet to line up. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what you're saying is consistent with God's works and ultimately his word. That's very, very important because at certain points, your words can actually disqualify you from entering into certain watch promises. And I'm going to make one more statement here under this heading. They did not miss out on heaven. This is not teaching us that they didn't go to heaven. That's not the purpose of the story. They missed out on God's earthly promises. The things that he had prepared for them. So pastor, how do you know that? Because when you get to whatever heaven is, there are no giants to fight. There are no giants to get into the next life. This story is about the promises of God given to us in this life and how our words either lock them up or unlock them for us. So then we speak those things that be not as though they were on a regular basis. So if, if let, let's go here, Joel. If, 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 if you're sick, say, I'm healed. Because that lines up with God's works. If, if, if you don't feel like you've got enough money, say, God, I'm prospering in Jesus' name. Because that's your desire for my life. If you say, well, this ministry is not going. Say, God, this ministry is prospering. It's going where you want it to go. In Jesus' name. Can you imagine if everyone started to speak that kind of language on a consistent basis? Do you know what would happen? Faith would be released all around us. 
until faith becomes an atmosphere in which we live. Because unbelief can also be an atmosphere in which we live. I believe God in Jesus' name. I can't speak for anybody else. I believe God in spite of what goes on. And then God says, after they made the wrong choice of words, God says, give me another generation that will be sober. And it was their children that were more sober than them. Their children that were born in the wilderness, they were more sober than them. And they said, God, we hear you. When we get to the book of Deuteronomy in the, in the month of September or December, I'm going to show you that a young generation came up and they believed God. And whatever Joshua said, they said yes. When Joshua said, we're going over, they said yes. When Joshua said, shout, they shouted. When Joshua said, this is going to happen, they believed God. They were a young generation. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. You know why? Because if we don't do it, our children will do it. So I want you to think about that. A generation decided that they were going to be sober and God took them in. This is the outline that I'm going to use for our studies. I'm going to use this one. I'm going to use destiny and decisions. I think it's a little stronger than sight and hearing because I want to show you that the decisions we make today are connected to our destinies tomorrow. Whatever decisions they are. So I'm going to break up the book like this and then we're going to go through it piece by piece. So the first part I'll look at is chapter 1 to 10. God is going to show us his ways and he's going to do that in such a way that destiny is going to be clear. The way that I've structured you, Israel, there's just no way that you can't go in. There's nothing that can stop you from going in. Listen, but you. Did you hear what I just said? There's no one and nothing that can stop you from going in except you. So when somebody asks me, is there something greater than God? Can I tell you what that is? Me. (laughs) Did you see that? Is there something stronger than God? Yes. Me. My choices. My will. My decisions. Because he will not override my choices and my decisions. He'll work with them and accept them. Destiny. The second part of that will be decisions. Decisions, if they're the wrong ones, according to the book, they lead to a lifetime in the wilderness. They lead to a lifetime of going in a circular motion around and around and around and around and around. And then you start to blame others. You start to say, yeah, did God call you to lead Moses? Is there no water out here? Did you bring us out here to die? Lifetime in the wilderness is the result of our decisions. Thank you, Jesus. And then I'll end here when we finish teaching. Destiny too goes to another generation. And God gives us another lesson in his ways. And they go in. I'll ask you a question. Joel will play softly. This is actually all I'm going to teach because it's five to eight. How many of us in this room, I know my answer, would love to see the things that God, based on what you see in scripture, has ordained, not just for your life, but for the body. 
you'd love to see that. I mean, you know, we, we have wonderful ministry services and the, the worship is great and the word is great and felt all that kind of stuff. But we want to see the things that I believe, you believe God's ordained. I don't want our children to say we've stepped into it. So part of it is we just don't want to live a Christian life, die and say, well, heaven will be better than this. Because the truth of the matter is, can I show you this? Heaven is actually, watch, a stepping stone from this. It's not some huge contrast. It's from glory to glory we go. If we don't see it in our lifetime, let's at least admit something. That we were just going like this. <laughs> That's fair. That we were just going around in circles. Now don't do this. Don't say, your fault. <laughs> his fault our fault that we didn't access promise maybe that's what this is all about maybe what this moment is all about that we enter into the promise that God has or the rest of God or the Sabbath that he has proposed for us I want to go in there share a, a small story with you I say to God all the time and you may you may think well pastor that's materialistic I told God, I said, at some point, especially in my latter years, I want to live a good life. I want to have enough that if I need something, it's not an issue. If I want to live someplace, I just decide and I live there. If I want to bless somebody, it's not, it's not some huge sacrifice down to my last might. I want to live a life that says, you're my God. And that I'm not a slave struggling in your world. And I believe that there are a lot more people, not just me, that sit in the body that have the same desires, even if they don't articulate them. And sometimes we don't say it because we've been taught that to say it is wrong. But I want to live a blessed life. Because I think God has promised that. In fact, He's already given me all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And I'll go one step further. And he's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I want to live it. Do you think that as an Israelite, some others were angry with some? Because some people spoke some things that then came onto our lives. Go back in your mind in the text. I know we're not living in that day. But as I walked around that mountain with my children and my family and other Israelites walked around the mountain and my children asked me the question, they said, Daddy, why are we walking around this mountain not week after week, year after year? I said, but Dad, we walked this way before. Why are we going around this mountain again? What do you think the Israelites said to his children? He had two choices. Either he said to his children, we didn't believe God, or he made up a theology that when we get to heaven, son, all that we want, God will give to us. I don't want to have either conversations with my children because I want them to open their eyes and say, wow, this is an incredible place of promise that God has put us. Let's be a light to the nations and thy salvation to the ends of the earth.
take a moment everyone put your your writing pads down we haven't got into the book yet we'll look at everything inside this book but let's make a commitment to god doesn't matter where you are on the soteriological continuum of your walk with god it doesn't matter even online today we can make a commitment with god that we will not go around in cycles nor in circles but all we will do god is we will believe you if you speak it i believe it that's the work of salvation i'm going to work to believe you i'm going to work until my words line up with your works and your word i believe god will do just what he said i believe you in the face of crisis i believe you in the face of trouble I believe you in the face of challenges. I believe you in the face of failures. I believe you, God, in the darkest days. I believe you beyond my feelings and my emotions, beyond some of those crazy thoughts that run through my mind. I still believe God. I believe you, God. I believe you after 10 years of ministry, 20 years of ministry. I believe you, Jesus. but you've spoken a word and it cannot return void but it will accomplish what you've sent it to accomplish i believe you in my life i believe you in the body i believe you in ministry in the name of jesus i believe god yes i do thank you thank you Sometimes you just have to tell yourself and say, "Well, you look like you're trying to convince yourself I am. I'm trying to convince myself that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. I see it. Just lift your hands in your seat, everyone. I see it. Even online as you're listening. Stay right there. I believe God. I believe that we shall not die in cycles in dry places in desert places but we shall die in places that flow with milk and honey hallelujah thank you god i believe i believe in jesus name thank you god Amen. Almost ready to start teaching. Do you have any questions on the Q&A side? It's 8:00. I've done very well tonight. I think you should give me a hand for being on time because I'm never usually on time. I'm working on my Sundays. I really am, guys. I repent every Sunday going over 12:30, but just see with me. Val, there's another microphone over there. Your thoughts tonight and questions. I tried. Yes. Um because I've also I've read this this section of the Bible before yeah. and tried to uh compare it with what the present day reality of what we call yeah. New Testament living versus the Old Testament. 
And I wonder a lot of things. I wonder, number one, I wonder if we really know what the rest of God looks like or feels like. Because first and foremost, when you look at the, the, the children of Israel and their journey through the wilderness, <clears throat> and though they did not enter the land of promise, I almost feel like some of them didn't even know what that felt like or what that would feel like. And their existence in the wilderness was in some ways sufficient for them in the sense that they saw the miracles of God. Because scripture tells us that their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. So there were daily provisions for them. So to some degree, there was a measure of God's faithfulness, even in that state they were in. And for us in this present day, what does the rest of God look like? Because it can be miracles. I don't think it's miracles because they saw miracles in the wilderness. So what exactly is that rest of God that we, 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 because Bible says that eyes have not seen. Yes. Ears have not heard. It hasn't even entered into the hearts of men, the things that God has prepared. It's such a marvelous state in the sense that when I think about it, I go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Right. And I, I kind of think of the state that they were in when Adam was a God, okay, so just let's like do this. God. So let's do this because... Here's a good exercise. What does the rest of God look like? And you went there, right? Mm-hmm. Would it be fair to say that we can pull truths from Genesis 1 and 2 and say this is what we should be experiencing in the new covenant? And and we that's, that's the only them? reference. That's the only reference because that's one okay. of the places where the rest of God was mentioned. So let's itemize one. And we know them. Do you think that there was sickness in that realm? No. There wasn't. So we should be entering a state where sickness is not dominant over the body of Christ. Should we not? It's okay to say that even if you say that I've dealt with sickness, because we see glimpses of the apostles dominating sickness. And Jesus dominated sickness, didn't he? Yes, he did. It did. But I think we're afraid to say that because we've seen people die from sickness. We know people who are sick in the body. So we're afraid to step out there and say that that should be a part of the rest that God brings to us in the new covenant. And there's just one. Did did Adam labor? Did he work hard? No, he did not. Should we labor and work hard in the new covenant? But, but pastor, here's the point. And I think those, can you even imagine what that feels like? I, I don't know if I can imagine what it feels like not to labor. I, I don't know if I can imagine what it feels like for the world to, for there to be no sickness. On Do you the think that's why we struggle to believe? Because it's so unimaginable? I absolutely believe so. Okay. I absolutely believe so. And that's why, uh, that actually ties to my, I would say my next question and my next thought. Because when I also read the scriptures, though when we talk about our generation and the next generation, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe Mm 
that the scripture is referencing age gotcha. when it talks about our generation and the next generation. I think it's referencing a state of being. Mm -hmm. And so when it talks about children, it's really talking about those who are childlike versus those who okay. are seasoned or quote unquote have been in right. the, right. because when I think about the old Testament, I think about those that have been there when God did everything. Those that read the Torah, they were there, they know the, they know everything inside out. Right. And then we're talking about the generation that didn't see anything, but their faith was kindled just based on what they heard. In other right. words, they believe God just by hearing. So in my mind, that is almost like a childlike faith. Gotcha. Where you believe your parents, the parents tells you this, you're almost certain there'll be food at home. There's, you're almost certain that they'll provide for you and you don't ask any questions. And I also think that in our gen, in, when we talk about this, this space of existence, mm -hmm. that those that will experience this are those that will see God like their children and take God at face value. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, it will happen. And it has nothing to do with your age. So it's really what your state of mind or your state of faith is if you believe him because just because he said it gotcha. not because you're trying to analyze it and all of those things you. then you will be able to experience those things mm -hmm. and then the last part of my question is this yes when we talk about the the, the rest of god mm -hmm. i and in my opinion i think there are components and and aspects of it is it a personal experience is it a corporate experience? Is it, is it a rest that we can only get into because we all get into it? Or are there components of it where I enter it on my own personal Slow level? down for a second so yeah. everyone can hear you. So hands up everyone if you think that when God speaks to his people, he speaks to them individually. Does he speak to them collectively? Okay, hold on, get the third one. Both. All right, can you be in the land of promise and you not be in the land of promise? In Using the Old Testament. No. It's kind of challenging, isn't That's it? That's right. So even in the Old Testament, though, and you were right, he speaks to us collectively and individually, but it seems like in the Old Testament, tell me what you think, we seem to enter in collectively. Together. Correct. And there's actually a story in the book of Joshua, when they were crossing over the Jordan, they were coming from the west to the east, or the east to the west, but two tribes said, we like the land on over this on side. this side. And God had never given them that land, but you see, they asked God for whatever they want, God said, you could have that, but you cannot possess it, remember the story? Until, until the rest, the rest. all your brethren have possessed it. So there's a sense in which God speaks to us individually, but we step into this thing as a collective unit. So Val, our collective faith is on the table. That means you can believe, 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 but that will not get us until we believe, believe. You see what I'm saying? So it, it, it falls. I have to believe. Ryan has to believe. Charles has to believe. Nicole has to believe. We have to believe to enter in 
to experience things. Or else you would just simply say, forget you. I believe God. I'm in my rest. But that would make God watch a selfish God and an individualistic God. And God calls us watch not individuals. He calls us a, a body. So there's a sense in which accountability in, in the area of faith has to rise up. So that, that's why I think it's so important that if you are, let's use here for example, if you say we're attending a ministry together, having a vision, we're responsible for what each other say. No? So if you're in the washroom talking about, I don't like it here, it's terrible, then you come on, hallelujah! <laughs> you should say, hey, that's impacting us not just you. You see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, we hold each other accountable for our collective entering in. So Val, I, I would challenge and say that we won't enter until we enter together. And that would probably mean that if we don't enter, we're going to die together. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next one. But... <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for those questions. Are we going? Okay, we'll come over here. I just wanted to um, piggyback on what you're saying about entering the rest. Okay. Um, entering the rest is easy just to enter if you just believe what he says and you walk in it. That's the hard it's, part. I'm not saying, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a, maybe I'm saying it, it's simple to do. Yes but it's hard to do at the same time. Exactly. Because it, your faith, my faith, our faith will always be challenged. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would argue that that's part of the enemy's job is to not just, he's not really just trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your belief system. Right. And so circumstances can be thrown at you. People can be used against you to believe. And ultimately when you stop believing, right. you don't access what's been promised. And walking into health if God says that by yeah. his stripes you are healed and you have a headache, and, but your words are saying, I have this headache, it's killing me, it's killing me, you're having what you say. Yeah, they're, they're, that's where the war is. The war yeah. is between what God, what God has said saying. and what you're saying, right. and the fight is for what you will hear. Right. So watch, faith comes by. Hear. How to say it again? Faith comes by. Hear. So if you're talking, are you not also hearing it? Right. So as you're saying things, let's say I'm saying, Jesus, I'm really feeling sick. Mm. You're also hearing that. That's right. Just like when you read the scriptures, like you quoted by his stripes, you hear that. The question is, what are you listening to? That's right. And then that's what determines. You said it best. It really should be very simple. So Val, your thought about childlike faith. It really should be simple. But all these things are thrown at us that are designed to challenge and try our faith. And test our faith. Will you still believe right. when these things happen? And who are you listening to? Write that down, everyone. If you, if you can, I promise you. Write what she just said down. Who are you listening to? And so you may say, Pastor, where does that come from? Isaiah 53. Whose report do you and I believe? And it's interesting because it's in that chapter that we're told that by his stripes, we are healed. Excellent. Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. 
Yes. So um, this might be a bit of like a simplistic question. And you I somewhat, like simplistic. I think we all want that. And you also kind of like somewhat answered it. So basically, like my question is like, what are some ways like we can avoid complaining? And the reason why I'm asking that is because the human brain is kind of like hardwired into remembering negative experiences. Yes. So you use the example of like the Red Sea and it was such an incredible miracle. But like, say, for example, you and your friends went to like an amusement park. You guys yes. rode rides. You had a great time. You fellowshiped. You ate yes. food. But like the ride back was terrible because of the traffic and everybody leaving the park. Right. Your brain is going to forget all the fun stuff that happened in the day and it's just going to remember on the negative. Yeah. The, the traffic. Yeah. So with that all being said, you're most likely complaining about the traffic. And when it's brought up, you're going to remember the traffic. So hey, what let, are like ways? Let's we do can it. Let's like, do it together. I mm-hmm. want everyone that can go to a microphone. Tell us one thing we can do tonight that would help us to avoid complaining. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one. Count your blessings. <laughs> Just think about how blessed you are when you're tempted to complain and say, you know what? I may not have this, but I have that. And in counting your blessings, what you're doing is you're overriding. Because I think when you say the brain is hardwired, mm-hmm. I think the brain has fallen. <laughs> yeah. And so the brain gravitates to the negative more than the positive. Can anyone jump up? Don't leave me hanging. And tell us, what can you do to overcome complaining? Other than, here's another one. Stop. I give you guys two. Count your blessings. And what's the second one? Stop. Complete. Write it down. Write what God has done for you. Write it down. That he took me out of prison when I should have gone to jail for 10 years. God took me out of that. My thought is meditate on the positive. Meditate on the positive. So the blessed man, he thinks on the law of God day and night, becomes like a tree planted, brings forth his fruit in his season, Psalm 1, and whatsoever he does, it shall prosper. Meditate on the positive things of life. My scripture that keeps me going in, in all things, give thanks and praise unto God. Gratitude takes away murmuring. That's a beautiful one. In all things, Give thanks, not for all things, but in all things. I'll give you another one. Get away from negative people <laughs> real fast. So we're doing great. Come on, everyone. Come on. Barbara. Uh, my known is uh, believe what, what God has said. Believe. Believe what he said. and Just believe that. Believe if he says it, I'm standing on it, waiting to see it happen. I like that. I think a very practical one from the actual example she gave was if you were in a bad traffic, think about the fact that you were not in an accident. There you go. You ever heard the story the guy says, um, I've got no shoes until he went to a place where he saw a guy who had no feet. Mm-hmm. And then he put things in perspective. So coming back from the uh, amusement park and the traffic, think about the joy of the amusement park to override the negativity of the traffic. And these are simple things that we may not think are very spiritual, but they work. Phoebe, I thank you for that. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God concerning us. Yes. Pray about some stuff. So rather than complain, pray about some stuff and watch what God does through prayer. Yes. 
um, you could focus on the divine viewpoint. So when I think about like the book of Job, yeah. you know, he didn't know that there was a conversation going on in heaven yeah. Yeah. according to what God was about to do. Mm-hmm. But if he had known, he would he'd see that everything was going to turn out to right. take him to a higher level. Right. So what he just said there is go to the book of Job and start at chapter 38. <laughs> Forget all the other stuff. Go to chapter 38, read to the end. Then you see what God's perspective is. Because in some cases there are things that you don't know that are happening unbeknownst to you. But if you see and know the end of the story, which I think all Christians know the end of the story, in the end God wins, doesn't he? Go to the end of the story, forget all the other chapters, and read backwards back to the end, beginning. I like, to remember, I like to remember that happiness is a choice. Okay. That one. That one's a big one. Happiness is a choice. How many people believe that? You can choose today to be happy. So you can choose to be miserable. <laughs> it's the same thing. You can choose to complain or you can choose not to complain. It's the choices we make that matter. Anyone else? Are you changing the question, Robert? Or giving us a... I hope somebody wrote these all down. Even in the chat, I hope you've wrote the, written these down because every one of them is a book by themselves. I have one more. So for me, it's yeah. worship and praise. Like if I turn on my worship music, yeah. it just puts me at... The Psalm right place of my... 34, verse 1. Yeah. I will bless the Lord... How often, maybe one? At all times. His praise shall beware. If his praise is in your mouth, it cannot then be complaining at the same time. So think about this theory that the writer is trying to show you. Because your mouth is a fountain, there should only be one source of water coming out at a time. So you can't have praise coming out and complaining coming out at the and if your praise is in your mouth all the time, it goes without saying, I won't complain. I've had some good days. I've, I've, I've had some hills to climb. I've seen some weary days and some lonely nights. But when I look around and think things over, all of my good days, they outweighed my, I won't. Sometimes the night I glow. I can hardly see the road. I asked the question, why, Robert? Yeah, um, two questions from online. Yeah. The first one, could the death of the Israelites in the wilderness be seen as an act of mercy where they were allowed to die natural deaths instead of being slaughtered by their enemies as they confessed? Did you hear that question, everyone? I want you to, I'm going to read it for you. Was it God being merciful, killing them there, than their enemies killing them there? <laughs> Never thought of that in all of my life. Because you know if you're going to fight your enemy as an unbeliever, you're finished. Because <laughs> if you're already a grasshopper, guess what your enemy's going to do? <laughs> Thank you. Whoever put that question in, yes. <laughs> Maybe it's God saying, why take this thing any further? You don't believe, and your unbelief will lead to your destruction. Very good question. Very good thought, by the way. Robert? Okay. The second question. Can lack of faith cause us to miss out of the promise, or will we still receive because it is already promised? Oh. Did you hear the question, everyone? If we've got a lack of faith, can we miss the promise of God? The book of Numbers is going to teach us that the answer is yes. So God has promised some things to us. Guess what? 
but our faith accesses those promises. So my thought is always this. God makes a promise to humanity. Those in humanity that walk in faith can open those gifts. There'll always be somebody that will open those gifts, but those who choose not to walk in faith will never open gifts that are sitting under the tree for them. So we can miss the promises. And that's what we'll talk about in this book. An entire generation. Let's do the math. 605,000. 603,000 just in the census died in the wilderness. That's not women. And that's, that's a significant amount of people that missed out on God's promises. Thank you, Robert. Over here? Yes. We've got about five more minutes. Great stuff. Well. I guess I had two questions, but I guess I'll just do the one. Go ahead. We've got oh, time. Is it? Okay. So uh, when we were talking about the, um, the generation that saw the miracles of God, yes. in, con- in contrast to the ones that heard and then were more, had more faith, I think there's like a parallel there between yes. what happened uh, when Jesus was walking the earth and showing everybody miracles. Absolutely. And uh, I was trying to remember the verse that he said, like, a wicked generation seeks after a sign. That's right. Right? And I want to know, what is it about seeing the works of God that makes us fearful? Because I was looking at a verse. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, mm-hmm. verses uh, 19. And then how, they were, how the children of Israel in that day were describing God as like a trumpet, like the voice was terrible. They couldn't, they couldn't stand like yeah. to even hear and speak because it was, it was, they were yeah. fearful. Yeah. Whereas God is still speaking in the same way in the later generation, but they were more accepting and they were more like ready to go, yeah. you know, into battle. So what is it about like seeing the miracles of God versus hearing that causes us to like, you know, I guess have a larger faith, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I think when you hear and believe God, it says something to God that, you know what, I believe, you don't have to show me anything. I believe you. And Jesus even makes this statement. Remember when Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I see him and I, right? And he does, he says, touch me. He says, that's good, Thomas, but blessed are those who have not seen, yet they believe. I think when you take God at his word, just like you as a person, if you tell me something and I believe you, it says something about how I think about you, that I believe that you are trustworthy, that you're a man of your word, that you keep your word. So you don't have to show me anything. I walk away saying it's done. I think that moves God more than anything. Hebrews 11 verse 6, he that cometh to God must believe that he, but no man hath seen God. So if I've never seen God, but I believe that he is, that moves God. He says, you've never seen me. You believe more than somebody who says, God, I won't believe until you show me something. So I think there is something in that, that God really wants a generation that as he speaks it, they simply say, we trust you, God. And he begins to demonstrate. When you talked about the fear of God, I question what they thought was fear. I think they were afraid of God. They didn't fear God. So when they got to Mount Sinai and the mountain, they were like, this kind of, when the Bible speaks of the fear of God, it's a reverence of how great he is. It's not being afraid of him that he's going to kill me. Because you know how I know that the distinction? After they said, knees shook, a few chapters later, they they weren't afraid. They built a golden calf. Where did they build the calf? 
right at the base of that mountain where their knees were. And they had a party, threw off their clothes and started going crazy at that place where they said, so I don't think God wants me to be afraid of him necessarily. I think God wants me to fear him. And the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That's what God wants. Now, is he scary? He can be. (laughs) But I don't think that's what he wants to nurture in me. He wants a relationship that says, I respect and reverence you, God. And I can't respect and reverence you if I don't respect and reverence your word. See the difference there? Mm -hmm. So even when I fear him and I make a mistake, I don't run from him. I run to him. See the slight, slight difference there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Does that help a little bit? Mm-hmm. And uh, the second question was, mm-hmm. how do you know when you're in, a, in your life, you know, anybody's life, how do you know when you're in the promised land, like the land of milk and honey versus when you're in the wilderness? Cause Things are different every day. <laughs> New experiences every day. Mm-hmm. You sense that your life is progressing. You don't see the same thing over and over and over again. There's a lack of repetition. There's revelation. And there's a difference. Revelation is God showing you new things on a regular basis. It means you're growing and going up with him. Paul says that cycles are like this for us. We're either, here's your void cycles. He says we're being changed into that image as we go from glory to glory. New experiences, new heights, new doors are opened. But if you're doing the same thing over and over, that's a sign that you're in a cycle, mm-hmm. even as a Christian. Same thing last year, same thing, same prayers, same worship, same words coming out of your mouth. You're in a cycle, mm-hmm. right? So newness, I think, should, what, it should govern the life of the believer. God's doing something new in my life today. He's taking me someplace I never went yesterday. He's opening a new door for me, opening new relationships, new experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm growing in him. That's what I think. Does that help a little? Yeah. Okay, we'll take one more here, my beloved, and then we're going to call it a night in Jesus' name. Just a quick one. I know you mentioned about the Speaking power... to the mic so oh. they can hear you online as well. Just tilt it down a bit. <laughs> yeah. I know you mentioned about the power of the collective, mm-hmm. I think. And in the when they were wandering around, do you feel that there were people in there who possibly believed as Joshua did, but yes. still were not going to yes. make it? I I think that there are people who probably had faith like Joshua, but the power of negativity overcame. There was no way for them to escape that? You you know what I think? Those men that went over that, you know, and the story is interesting because depending on what book you read it in, one book seems to suggest that God told them to go over. When Moses recounts it in Deuteronomy, Moses said, we didn't really have to go over. But because you guys didn't really believe God, you said, let's go over. So that didn't have to happen. But when they said, we will go over, they should have realized the power of headship. That they weren't just going over for themselves. They were going over as representatives for their entire tribe. And so in their tribe, God saw them in their tribe they should have realized that when we opened our mouths, we weren't just speaking for ourselves. We were speaking for our entire tribe. Twelve men, one from every tribe. And so that, I think, is interesting because when they began to speak, they were speaking for other people. 
And when God saw that, and I think you can challenge me on it, I think negativity is contagious. But if that's the case, Joshua's tribe wasn't saved either. Which is, I can't explain that because then you would have thought that his whole tribe, just like not even just Caleb and Joshua, they should have gone, but they didn't. And so maybe, and I'm, I'm guessing, I don't think I necessarily have an answer, but maybe the negativity was so strong that after a while everyone started because the Bible goes on to say that when those men spoke, the people lifted up their voices and began to weep in response to what they heard. In other words, can I say it like this? They believed what those men said over what God had told them. And their response to the negativity, they started crying. They started saying, yeah, it looks like we're going to die here. It looks like we're grasshoppers. And they started to cry. And Caleb and Joshua had said, guys, guys. And by that time, I think God had made a decision that these people do not believe me. And their response is showing that they don't believe me. I think it's a very, it's a very dangerous place. Maybe we can say it like this. When you allow negative people to shape and to frame what you think and believe about God, I think. So did God's promise change towards the people of Israel? Because he brought them out to take them to the promised land. No, what I said is I think that God's promises work in concert with our faith. That's what I believe. I think God makes a promise. It sits somewhere in this faith world, and my faith either accesses it or my unbelief disqualifies me from it. So, and that's the hard part, because you would think that that means that God's word didn't come true. It did. It went to uh, another generation. He fulfilled it in another generation. So my only thought, and we'll talk about this when we're going through, is that the Bible does suggest that there can be promises made to us that we can forfeit those promises. Even destiny here can be forfeited. With no return to that promise. Say again? With no return to that promise. Once it's forfeited, it's forfeited. They died. That's what I mean. So, and I'm not making this, that, I'm not making know, this a heaven or hell thing. I'm yeah. not making, I'm no. saying that there's some things here in time mm-hmm. that we can forfeit. And it doesn't seem like they ever returned to it. They died. Yeah. And it moves to another generation and another generation. However you want to interpret that, mm-hmm. whether it's a faith thing, age, it moves to another group that will believe. Do you believe that Jews rejected Jesus and it moved to another group and it moved to another group? So at the core, I would say at core, what God is really saying is, I just need you to believe me. doesn't matter what it looks like. doesn't matter what others are saying. I just need you to believe me. And that faith will unlock the things I've promised. Faith is significantly important, isn't it? Without faith, it is impossible. And that's one of the only times that you see the word impossible associated with God. It's impossible. Because with God, (laughs) all things are possible. And then out out of nowhere, but without faith, it's impossible to believe, to, 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 um, to please God. I hope that something resonates. We haven't even opened the book yet. And we'll look in detail. But whatever you do, don't let your circumstances or your eyes or your situation, medical reports or negative people or people who themselves have been hurt or disowned, don't let that dampen your faith. Always water your faith. I still believe God. 
And there will come moments on the journey where your faith is going to be tested like never before. But let God sharpen and refine your faith. Stand with me, everyone, even online. Whatever you do, do not lose your faith. The God we serve is faithful, and He just requires us to believe. I lift my hands because I believe God. In the face of what I'm challenged with, I believe God. When the gas is going low, I believe God. When the bills pile up, I believe God. When people walk away, I believe God. You should tell him that, someone. Tell him that. Don't waver when my children are behaving the way I think and would like them to be- behave. I believe God. When this ministry doesn't seem to be going where I want it to go, at the pace that I want it to go, I believe God. I say this, God is not a man, Rhema, that he should lie. He's not the son of man, that he should repent. If he said it, he will perform it. I need you to believe that in the face of every trial, Let the devil know it. I believe God. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. Not standing on the words of Christians who struggle, who are having a hard time. I'm I'm not standing on their words. I'm standing on the word of an eternal God. Hallelujah. Father, I believe you tonight. We believe God. Say that with me, congregation. Father, we believe you. We believe you as a body, as a people. Let faith rise in the body of Jesus Christ from coast to coast in every local house. Let faith rise. We need everyone to believe. We need every mouth speaking faith. We need We need every heart postured to believe God that we are well able to possess what God has promised. And so we believe you, Jesus. We believe you. Standing on the promises of Christ, my Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Don't waver. Don't waver. Don't waver. Do not waver. Let not that man think he will receive anything from God. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Stand on faith. Stand on faith. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I hope someone got a faith injection. I hope someone got a faith injection in Jesus' name. The altars are open if you'd like to give online. If you'd like to give, we're almost ready to sign off. If you've got faith, stretch your hands right here to Marva. She's believing for something great in her health. And we believe together, God, that she shall be healed every witch. We stand in faith tonight, believing and we speak the word of healing in the name of Jesus. 
Come on, search. Let faith rise in the name of Jesus. Let faith rise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Is there anyone believing for anything you want to come? We got a few minutes. If you need to go, you can go. But if you're believing for something, come. Come in the name of Jesus. And if you're staying, let your faith rise. You don't have to tell me what it is. God knows what it is. But we stand in faith, believing with you in Jesus' name. That it shall come to pass. What you believe God for, it shall come to pass. In the name of Jesus, we stand in faith, believing in the name of Jesus. Yes, in the name of Jesus, we stand in faith, believing. Put oil on my hands, Barbara. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What you believe God for, it comes to pass. We stand in faith believing in the name of Jesus. It comes to pass in your life. Father, hasten the reply. Hasten the answer in the name of Jesus. Bring manifestation expeditiously in the name of Jesus. Let it happen in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. If you're online believing, just stretch your hands. If you've stayed, if you've logged on at a different time, we extend our faith with you and we believe God with you. That he who has spoken is faithful and he shall do for you in Jesus' name. It shall come to pass in your life in the name of Jesus it shall come to pass in Jesus name if you're here don't doubt don't doubt in Jesus name we believe God with you that you would see the end of your faith not many days hence you will see the goodness of God Listen, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. The goodness of God is for the living. So Father, cause him to see your goodness while he is yet alive in the name of Jesus. Let him see the end of his faith in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Let Dion come. Someone go grab Dion and let him come. In the name of... If you got to go, it's okay. But if you, if you stay, don't spectate. Believe. Believe. If you add your faith with my faith, with her faith, it compounds faith. So we believe with you, daughter. We believe that God will... And God shall. We believe that God has done. And we believe for manifestation. In the name of Jesus. We believe that you will see the hand of God. In your life. In the name of Jesus. You 
shall see the promise of God. We believe, we believe, we believe. In Jesus' name, we believe. Put oil on my hand, Barbara. Michael, you're coming for something. You're coming for something. Every hand that's in this auditorium, I know we're going a little bit over. Stretch them out in faith. Every hand that's in the auditorium, stretch them out in faith. We believe with you, Dion, in the name of Jesus, that you would see the goodness of your God in the land of the living, that he would honor the years of your labor, the nest eggs of your faithfulness. They shall come now to fruition in the name of Jesus all the seeds that you sow your harvest shall come now in the name of we believe God we believe God in the name of Jesus you will live to see the goodness of God in the land of the living in the name of Jesus strength and healing and wholeness of body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, we believe with you. We believe with you, Michael. You believe in God for something. Yes. Ah, uh -huh. hallelujah. Ah, uh -huh. yes. Yes, yes. That's the Holy Ghost talking through you. Hallelujah. That's the Spirit of God bearing witness. Yes, we believe God. We believe God. We believe God. We believe God. Come guys, a cushion. We believe God. We believe God. We believe God. situation you will see the God of your salvation you will see providence you will see power in the name of Jesus you will see God like you hallelujah there is no one else 
no one else like God, for you are great. Hallelujah. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you, God. We believe God for you and with you in the name of Jesus. We believe in the champion of eternity. He's never lost the battle. Hallelujah. God has never lost the battle. So we stand in faith, believing in your circumstance that God would show himself strong in the name of Jesus. Not many days hence, you will see the goodness of God power of God in Jesus name thank you Jesus we believe God yes we wonder no more in Jesus name we go round in circles no more in the name of Jesus hallelujah thank you Jesus God is great there's miracles so great. There's no one else like God. We believe with you, Phoebe. Um, we believe that every prayer that you have prayed has been answered. In every aspect and area of your life, every request that you've issued from your mouth, has been heard of God. We stand in faith believing now. Answers come by faith. Answers dispatched for you. In the name of Jesus. Oh God. In the name of Jesus. Answers in your family. Answers in other areas of your life. In the name of Jesus. Father, hasten angels with answers in the name of Jesus. Send answers now in Jesus' name. I believe God. I believe God. I believe. Thank you, Jesus. No matter how long it takes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe God. Thank you, Jesus. 